Hi, everyone, and welcome to the American Ambulance EMS podcast. I'm Dr. Danielle Campaign, and I'm your American Ambulance Medical Director. I'm here with two of my awesome co-hosts, uh, Dr. Sajan Bakta and Dr. Patil Armenian. Hi, everyone. Hi. So today we're going to talk about snake bites. Who serves a million people in the valley? We do. The brave men and women of the double A are the best at what they do in EMS today. The finest place in the world to be is right here as a part of American's family. Help is on the way, got a unit and route. No matter the problem, when in doubt, we send them out. Sure as the sunrise, sure as I bust this rhyme, 10 minutes or less. Every call, every time, this is my career path, this is what I do. The double A's, red, white, and blue. Get your call on. Here comes American. Get your lights on. Here comes American. Get your gurney on. Here comes American. Get your gloves on. Here comes American. Get your save on. Okay, let's talk about stink bites. How prevalent are they? I mean, how much do I have to worry here in Fresno County? If I go hiking at Millerton, I go to Shaver, I'm at Wilbur Park, do I got to worry about these things? I mean, they're out there. Um, we... We don't get that many bites per year, though. I think at CRMC, if we get 10 bites per year, that's considered like a lot for us. Like it was a, it was a, it was a big season for us. <laughs> um, and we really do get kind of all the cases transferred to us from all over the Central Valley. So it's kind of about it. So even though they're out and about, they're not necessarily um, biting people all the time. And what do I have to worry about most? Is it all rattlesnakes or are there other snakes I've got to worry about biting me? In California, we typically think of the rattlesnakes as, as the most common um, envenomation. Um, in North America in general, in addition to rattlesnakes, we have water moccasins, which are cottonmouths. We have copperheads. Um, these are all part of the family Viperidae, subfamily Crotalinae, and they are the snakes that we see most often when we think of venomations. Right, but here locally, it's just rattlesnakes, right? We don't have any of those unless some um, crazy person has those as a pet, right? Or unless they're at the zoo. Oh, that's right. Forget about our the lovely zoo, zoo. Or, yeah, crazy crazy pets. Right. Um, and there are a lot of different types of rattlesnakes. So we have, like, the northern Pacific rattlesnake. Uh, the Mojave rattlesnake is a special one in the Mojave Desert because it does different things. But we'll get into that later. Let's talk about um, the pathophys. So I'm walking around... I see a rattlesnake, I get bit by a rattlesnake every time I go to the hospital, or can I say, oh, I just got a dry bite. I'm sure I'm lucky. I only got a dry bite. I don't have to go in. Well, if you're lucky, you do have a dry bite, and that's up to 20% of the, the bites can be dry, which means that no venom was actually injected. We don't really know when there's a dry bite. That's the problem. Um, a single snake can strike up to four times with significant envenomation on each strike. Um, so it's not like they can run out of venom even if they bite multiple times. We don't know if they're dry bites until we've assessed them for quite a few hours and we kind of monitor their symptoms for a few hours. So we really recommend, as with most things, get them to the hospital where we can keep an eye on them for a while. Perfect. So what are some symptoms? What, what is the medic going to look for at the scene? What are they going to look for? What are some crotalad ven- venomation? Those are big words. Crotalad venomation symptoms. So four main types of damage that we're talking about when we talk about rattlesnake venom. The main ones that we're going to see are local tissue damage, which happens in just a few minutes. Um, the enzymes in the venom act on the extracellular matrix, the vascular endothelium, the basement membrane, all those fancy terms, which basically just means you're going to get swelling and redness and pain. Um, the next thing that's going to happen in just a few minutes to a few hours is that they're going to have hematologic effects. Um, venom has a lot of 
effects that thin the blood. Um, they cause a lot of hemorrhagic issues. So um, you'll start to see bruising and blood blisters around the, the bite, and that could spread really quickly. Things that we may see a little less common, but a little more dangerous can be cardiovascular effects. Um, that can include vasodilation, increased capillary permeability, direct myocardial injury, which can lead to hypotension and even seizures. And then the final method of injury is neurotoxic injury. And again, it's uncommon, but there's a special case, the Mojave Desert, they have a Mojave rattlesnake, which causes an ascending paralysis. And this can be just as bad as botulism. It actually has a very similar mechanism to botulism toxin, which inhibits the presynaptic acetylcholine release. And that can cause your diaphragm to be paralyzed and you can stop breathing from that. And that happens pretty fast, right? Right. So I think if you have any neurological symptoms um, with a snake bite, you would worry about this, but we'll leave that up to our toxicologist to figure out which one it is. And just know in the pre-hospital setting, we're going to transport them all to a hospital. And then um, there's no destination policy, just for reference, for a snake bite. So you can go to any hospital of patient's choice. I think if you're ever wondering, like, is this a dry bite or is this a real envenomation, just look at the bite site. If it's a real envenomation, typically you're already seeing hematologic and local tissue effects. And so you're going to have a lot of swelling and you're already from the start going to have blood oozing from the bite site because it has anticoagulant properties, the venom does. And so they'll just be kind of oozing blood and that bite site won't stop oozing blood for hours. And also wherever they were bit, they're going to probably already have bruising. It's going to look like they have a lot of bruising. And they can even get hemorrhagic bulla, which are just these giant blisters that are blood-filled. And it starts looking really scary. It starts looking like it's infected or something, but it's not. It's just the venom effect. Yeah, and I would just caution because we have a super fast load-and-go EMS system that sometimes they're on scene within 10 minutes, often in 10 minutes. So that might take a few minutes to come. So even if you see nothing, still bring the guy in. Exactly. Let's talk about the things that you should do when you're called out to one of these cases. So, of course, first and foremost, scene safety. Uh, make sure that the snake is not still around, that no one's trying to play or catch the snake. Yeah, don't bring it in. <laughs> we don't need to see the snake. Um, please don't endanger yourself or endanger the patient. Um, remember to start with your ABCs. If there's someone who's been bitten on the face because they were trying to play with a snake or kiss a snake, or it's critical to secure the airway and assess the airway. Next thing we'd like to do... Usually, though, let me interject for a second. Usually it's, it's some drunk dude who's messing with a snake. <laughs> and so most of our bite sites are going to be hands because they were trying to, like, get the snake. When I was working at a private community hospital in town after residency, a patient came in with a snake bite. And we were talking about, do we transfer downtown? Do we not? And then you know, I was kind of bored and was like, oh, well, how'd you get this bite? And they said that they're going through a divorce. And so they were fighting over the snake, literally fighting over the snake. So I'm grabbing one side of the snake. You're grabbing the other side of the snake. No. This is my snake. And it was their pet. And of course, this person yanked a little harder and the snake just whoosh, oh and bit gosh. him. I just thought, oh my, let's not fight over our snake. I don't think I have any stories that can beat that one. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> I feel so. like it's always guys. Sorry to pick on the guys in the room, but I just feel like it's always guys messing no, with snakes. There snake. was actually, actually a is. study done. Yeah. We about that. Oh, let's hear about this study. <laughs> Prove my I, point that guys. I think uh, in the, they looked at who was getting bit by rattlesnakes, and 78% were <laughs> drunk 
males. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. So you smart, non-drunk females, you stay away from those snakes. Go the other direction. <laughs> All right. So then the other thing we talked about going down the kind of the protocol is you're going to remove uh, constricting items around the bite. So if it is their hand because they're messing with it, and remove the rings, remove jewelry, remove clothing because it does swell fast. So get those rings off while you still can. And you don't have to do anything else, really. There really isn't any first aid treatment that's showed to improve outcomes. We'll talk about some of the myths that people have tried and failed um, that don't really do anything. Really, your best option is to get these patients to the hospital. You can raise and elevate the limb to try and prevent some swelling, um, but really just get them to the hospital. Yeah, the other two things in our protocol um, we have down is to mark the edge of the swelling, especially if you have a long transport time, so we kind of know how fast it's progressing. Um, and then measure it every 15 minutes. And then we talk about this, apply the elastic bandage. Um, Dr. Meaning, you want to so tell us about that, what that means? This is a co- this concept called uh, lymphatic dressing. So the whole point is to do a, a dressing wrap, like an ACE wrap, loose enough where you could still fit two fingers underneath the ACE wrap. Um, and it's supposed to decrease lymphatic flow in the affected limb because usually we're dealing with um, like hands or feet. And, um, and so perhaps that might help in kind of circulating the venom a little less. There isn't that much awesome proof for this. The key is no tourniquets. So this, is, this type of dressing is like a loose dressing that you could fit your fingers under. It's not a tourniquet. And so tourniquets are useful in parts of the world where the snake venom is so dangerous that it can kill you within minutes. For example, in Southeast Asia or Africa, we don't have those in the United States and definitely not in California. And the initial study for this pressure or um, elastic bandage was done in the 1940s, right? So they were trying to stop this lymphatic flow um, so that this super toxic venom wouldn't go anywhere. Um, So I don't think it's been super scientifically proven, but it can't hurt them. Let's talk about some other myths, some other common things that people do that are really not only not evidence-based, but actually really harmful for the patient. Yeah, I've heard somebody say like, oh, I bit that wound and sucked it and spit it out. Like, why would someone do that? (laughs) Don't do it. It doesn't work. So first and foremost, like we talked about before, don't try and find the snake. Don't try to catch the snake. The injury probably happened because someone was messing with the snake in the first place. So don't endanger yourself. Don't endanger your patient. Don't try to catch the snake. Um, what about, Patil, what about uh, incising the wound and trying to cut it open? Oh, yeah. There's people that try to, like, cut it open. And don't do that either because you're already getting tissue destruction from the venom. Now you're getting t- tissue destruction from your knife or whatever tool you're using to do that. And there's no benefit to that whatsoever. And there's been... Uh, there's, I think people actually studied it and they were trying to see like, is there venom in the tissue? And it's just not a thing. Um, and, and then, and then like- coagulated. Oh yeah. And so yeah. they're just gonna bleed even more from whatever Yeah, they're just gonna made. keep bleeding because already, you know, not only is it an anticoagulant, but your platelet count kind of shoots down. And so you're like hitting your coagulation system from all these different angles. And yeah, it's just not gonna be good. I think that's the same thing with these commercial like um, suction devices. There have been some good studies on those um, that report that you know you had a false sense of security because you actually get fluid out when you suck it. So you think like I'm getting the venom, but then studies show that there's not a significant amount. I think it's just from the platelet leakage, the tissue leakage, your antibiotics. So you're sucking out your fluid, but it's not the venom. Yeah, which you're you not really getting want. the venom. Total, total waste of money. 
and unfortunately these are marketed to the general public and so people might be carrying these don't let them use them um you're causing like we're saying you're causing a lot more damage by trying to mess with the wound than actually just trying to wrap it lightly and then getting them to the hospital we can add more myths too don't don't burn the wound don't shock it oh yeah talk about this electric shock thing (laughs) so this has been done, I guess, for many years, but there is in the mid 1980s, there was a letter to the editor published in The Lancet. So people started um, using this as a basis for electric shock treatment. I'm not really sure the rationale for using electric shocks, but it started being used all over the world. And it's high voltage, low amp current, right? So <laughs> shocking me might hurt my heart. Right. Um, so specifically in rattlesnakes, it's been studied. Shocks neither reduce toxicity um, nor increase the length of time to respiratory depression or systemic effects. And they're actually um, the commercial products that were being used before are actually banned in the United States now. Um, some people try to suck the wound with their mouth. Um, rattlesnake bites are actually pretty sterile on their own and all you're doing with putting your mouth on it is introducing mouth bacteria which can um, cause worsening infection they don't often get infected on their own without some external source of bacteria so please don't let the patient put their mouth on the wound and introduce new bacteria where they didn't have any before. So what I'm hearing from you is I'm not going to die from this right away it takes a long time to get these symptoms and don't do anything to it really just get to a hospital. Right. Don't put a tourniquet on. Um, remember that the venom is spread through the lymphatics. Um, a light dressing, compression, and elevation will be the best bet for you. We're not trying to block the arterial flow. That's just going to cause more damage to the tissue in the extremity. Right. So like your protocol is going to apply the elastic bandage, which is um, two to five inches proximal to the bite if it's on an extremity and not a tourniquet. Um, there's also been some studies trying to figure out, can we isolate the bite? So there are people putting plastic rings around the bite that are a few centimeters wide to try and prevent the spread of venom. Um, again, that has only been shown to provide a false sense of security. You're not preventing any damage um, and you're not really stopping any of the venom from getting to the systemic. So what happens when they get to the hospital, right? They come to CRMC, we call Patio, we call the talk service and say, hey, I got a rattlesnake, one of the 10 for you. Well, and what are you going to do? Uh, we're going to give them anti-venom. And there's actually a couple different types of um, rattlesnake anti-venom on the market right now. One's called Crofab. The other one's called Anavip. Uh, we're transitioning over to Anavip right now. Bottom line is is they kind of um, neutralize the venom. And what, we're try- what our main goals are to stop the hematologic effects and so we'll see their platelet counts will start going up and you have a decreased risk of bleeding when they give when they when we give the anti-venom and then we're also slowing down tissue destruction so what you said platelet counts go up because that's like they come in when they're low and then you follow the the venom makes the venom makes your kind of makes you sequester your platelets so your platelet count will drop and we'll see that when we in the hospital we'll check a blood count when they first come in and we'll see that their platelets are really low then when we give them anti-venom, their platelets can kind of come back out into circulation and work again. And so you actually see their platelet counts come up. Um, and then the other main thing is just tissue destruction. So we're trying to slow down those effects because what we have seen is, you know, even years later, if somebody had a significant snake bite that wasn't treated appropriately from a rattlesnake, they can have pain in that extremity for years. 
so we're just trying to prevent them from having chronic pain issues in those limbs. Now, I've heard um, some people say, well, I don't want that antivenom. Like, I might be allergic to it. Like, is that a thing? Well, they, there were a lot of issues with the older antivenoms because those were made out of horse serum. And so what that means is like you're getting a lot of proteins from another animal injected into you. That was, that's like the old-fashioned way of making antidotes. Um, and that is just not the case anymore. Now the antivenoms are just like tiny little protein fragments as opposed to like all the serum from from something and so they're little protein fragments that kind of bind up the venom you really don't get allergic reactions to them anymore and we can give them safely and we really don't have a lot of problems with them and what about exotic snakes what if i'm one of those uh, strange people who keeps an exotic snake in my house or what if i work at the zoo and i get bit by an exotic snake so okay so if you have if somebody got bit, bit from an exotic snake in their home then um i would recommend it's not a protocol i would recommend they come to crmc if you're in the fresno area or you can go to the nearest hospital they'll probably transfer them to us anyway because we have ways to get anti-venom for exotic snakes and so one of our main contacts is the fresno chaffee zoo so we could borrow anti-venom from them or obtain it through other places there's a big network of zoos across the country that have certain anti-venoms and we can try to get it from other places and then um, we do have a protocol in place between CRMC toxicology and the Fresno Chaffee Zoo. So this is not a SEMSA protocol. This is not an EMS protocol. But it's just our agreement at the hospital with the zoo that if somebody who works there gets bit by one of their um, snakes, that they will get transported directly to CRMC. So they will ask for that. They'll say, I would like to be transported to CRMC. And they have their own anti-venom supplies for every single one of their snakes. And they will come with their anti-venom. So they'll hold their anti-venom <laughs> and come straight to CRMC. And then um, because those are very rare medications, the toxicologist will actually come to the bedside, mix it, and give it ourselves. So I would be there at the bedside mixing it and giving it myself because nobody it would be something that nobody in the hospital had ever done before right since these are so, so rare and exotic fun, the... fun part of toxicology <laughs> shouldn't be fun but sorry that's what i do <laughs> so let's uh wrap it up with some take-home points what do we want people to remember about snake bites here in the valley you don't have to do anything fancy stay safe um clear the scene and just immobilize elevate and transport uh, get the rings off. Sometimes it's like once they really get swollen, you can't get the jewelry off anymore. So it's another little tidbit. And also just calm them down. Don't freak out. In our region, rattlesnake bites are not deadly. And so um, so you can at least calm the person down because I think everybody thinks that if you get bit by a snake, you're going to die. That is simply not the case. So you could actually just calm them down and say, look, I know it hurts. Um, and this sucks, but, you know, we're going to get you better. And my take on point, I think, will be kind of like with drowning, the best way to treat a rattlesnake bite is to not get bit by one. And so I'm not going to put my hands anywhere I can't see. Um, I'm not going to be grabbing sticks or branches when I, like, swim in a lake because, you know, rattlesnakes can swim. And um, I'm just going to be more alert when I'm out hiking um, that uh, there are snakes out there during certain snake seasons and try not to get stepped on one. And where snake season is upon us. 
The well, minute thanks. it gets warm, it's snake season. So, so spring, summer. Right now we're recording this the last day of April, and um, it's happening. So it's already warm out. Everyone I know has seen rattlesnakes um, walking around, like, on their hikes and stuff. So they're out, and usually it's as soon as the temperature gets warm, that's rattlesnake season. Great. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. If you guys like the American Ambulance EMS podcast and you feel like this has been useful for you, please give us a five-star review on the iTunes store so that we can move up in the ratings so that uh, other uh, pre-hospital professionals can listen to us as well. Um, and we're also taking any solicitations for ideas or, or topics that you want covered, and you can email us anytime at podcast at americanambulance.com. Once again, that's podcast at americanambulance.com. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the American Ambulance EMS podcast produced by American Ambulance in Fresno, California. The views of the guests and the hosts of this show are their own and don't necessarily reflect the views of American Ambulance or UCSF Fresno. The theme song for the show is written and performed by Roshan Roach. The beats were created by Young Pear and Brett Schoenwald. And I'm John Mark Bergen, American Ambulance's media producer, saying thanks for joining us. Have a great shift and stay safe out there.